0: I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM. Insider tips for greenhouse pros. Actually, that's not necessarily true. You very well might not like all of what you're about to hear, but you have to hear it. I'm Bill Calkins and I'm really excited to welcome Leslie Halleck to STEM. Leslie and I have known each other for many years and I've always thought of her as a leader. In terms of management when she was in her role as GM of a leading garden center, leadership in terms of ideas and strategies as a consultant, and as a leader when it comes to trends demonstrated by her books and speaking topics. This episode of the STEM Greenhouse podcast, we're going to tap into all of those leadership areas and more. Our driving topic today is the role of challenges facing, skill sets related to, and opportunities available for women in horticulture. As Leslie will explain, she's in a very good place to bring this topic forward as a business owner, a female, and someone who is not known to pull punches. In the next 40 minutes or so, we'll discuss the big picture fact that the work world was built by men for men. We'll discuss stereotyping in its many forms, the strengths and skills women bring to management, the importance of self-evaluation, and also why women in horticulture must support one another. And we'll also address harassment, and the fact women often feel like prey, even in a work setting. And... Leslie's best practices for women when harassment situations arise, as well as for all green industry companies, because reporting and documenting are actions that require processes and practice. We'll wrap it all up with a discussion about how women are and could be working together to make improvements, sharing information, and raising the tide for all. At times, you might disagree, and at times you might not, or you might shake your head in disbelief. But at the end of this episode, I expect you will have learned a lot, and no matter your gender, we'll come away with new ideas, new strategies, and a new appreciation for what is a reality for many people in our great industry. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four messages lining up to support one key industry topic. This time, we're talking plants. I was looking at coverage of this year's Cultivate 2019 trade show and saw some photos of the products selected as the Garden Center Group Retailers Choice Awards, and I had to share some of them this episode. At some of the top shows each year, members of the Garden Center Group, which is a peer group for leading independent garden centers, scour the shows for the products they feel will be hot items at retail the following year. These include plants, hard goods, even computer systems and technology. Then they present the companies with awards and promote the winners to the garden center retail industry. Here are four plants that gained recognition at the Cultivate Show in Columbus, Ohio in June 2019. There is still plenty of time for growers to order the inputs for the two annual varieties and for retailers to stock up on the ornamental shrubs I'm going to mention. First, Petunia Midnight Gold from Ball Flora Plant. With a unique first of its kind novelty color and exceptional branching with tons of flower power, it's pretty clear why this one caught the judge's eyes. It's slightly more vigorous than the Double Wave Double Petunia series, and it features huge double blooms. That is a perfect plant for premium hanging baskets. Next, Hydrangea Macrophylla Newport in the Seaside Serenade series from Monrovia. This is a showy rebloomer with a profusion of full Mop Head flower clusters that mature to a deep pink on very sturdy stems. The bloom color changes with soil pH, it's more blue-violet in acidic soils and a deeper pink in alkaline soils. Newport is great for containers, beautiful in mass plantings, and works well as a small garden specimen. You can also cut the blooms and use them in vases. Third chip in our plant connect for this time is Elysium Banana Peel from Bailey Nurseries. Aside from having a fantastic name, Banana Peel, get it? This compact, well-behaved Elysium has golden yellow foliage and keeps a nice mounted form as it ages. Its leaves are wider than Florida Sunshine and it's a better grower in production. Unlike Florida Sunshine, it doesn't send out long gangly shoots and the plants are more compact and disease resistant. With anise-scented foliage, it's a perfect accent plant in shade gardens, maintaining its small stature and luminescent yellow-gold foliage. Last but certainly not least in our list of top new garden center plants receiving awards from the garden center group are actually two selections from the Under-the-Sea Coleus series from Hort Couture, Coleus Pink Tuna and Coleus Red Snapper. You're probably familiar with this independent-only collection, and these two new varieties fit the theme perfectly, the sea-themed names and coleus varieties resembling plants and creatures from the ocean. Check out Pink Tuna and Red Snapper, and both are very, very cool-looking. I'll link to a full list of the Garden Center group Cultivate 19 winners in the show notes, but now... Let's get right to it because STEM38 is very important and an episode you need to listen to, think about, and then share with your entire team. In fact, it could be the most important STEM greenhouse podcast episode yet. Leslie Halleck is a certified professional horticulturist and avid lifetime gardener who has spent her 25 plus year career hybridizing horticulture science with home gardening consumer needs. Halleck earned a bachelor in science in biology and botany from the University of North Texas and a master of science in horticulture from Michigan State University. Halleck's professional experience is well-rounded with time spent in field research, public gardens, landscaping, Garden Center Retail, and Horticulture Consulting and Communications. Her previous positions include General Manager for Independent Garden Center, North Haven Gardens in Dallas, Texas, and Director of Horticulture Research at the Dallas Arboretum. She currently runs Halleck Horticultural, through which she provides horticultural consulting, business and marketing strategy, product development and branding, and content creation for green industry companies. Halleck's an author award-winning writer for industry and consumer publications, and a columnist. She was recently awarded the Special Recognition Award for Garden Media Promoter from the Perennial Plant Association. Her book, Gardening Under Lights, The Complete Guide for Indoor Growers, was published in June of 2018, and her most recent book, Plant Parenting, Easy Ways to Make More House Plants, Vegetables, and Flowers, was released in June of 2019, both via Timber Press. We'll talk a bit about her amazing and well-rounded career in horticulture, as well as the topics she chose to cover with her books, but what Leslie brings to the table today is unique and very important, sometimes tough to hear and impactful on many levels, and she's the perfect person to hear from on the role of women in horticulture. Leslie, welcome to STEM.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be on the podcast today.
0: Awesome. So I did share some of your bio in the introduction. Everything from, I mean, a 25-year career in horticulture is awesome. You've got a master's from MSU, Dallas Arboretum plant curator, AAS judge, General manager of an awesome garden center in Texas, a writer, articles, books, radio show host, beekeeper—it's—it's it's crazy. <laughs> You've done so many things, and you just got a PPA Garden Media Promoter Award, which is really exciting. So
1: I, I did. Thank you.
0: And so, you know and then you work with clients on everything from business strategy to marketing brand building it's I, I don't know how you can keep it all straight but can you share some of your favorite highlights or what you know, what is it that gets you up in the morning and just you know you, you drive out there with such an excitement um, to, to work with commercial horticulture?
1: Well, I am what I like to call a multi-passioned entrepreneur. I am kind of ADD in all of my interests. And, you know, if I have to describe my approach to my career is that I'm just really an idea person. I get really, I'm creative. I get really excited about coming up with new ideas and helping people implement them. And because I have so many different interests, that means I am going to work on a lot of different projects at the same time. And that's what gets me, being creative and seeing the ideas that I come up with manifest is what's exciting to me and you know because I don't stay in one lane that might mean I'm doing lots of different projects and so that also means I've done lots of different jobs and then have worked in multiple segments of the industry be it research landscape nursery garden center you know I've kind of run the gamut but that's what makes it so exciting for me to work with businesses across the spectrum and you know in terms of of highlights for me. I mean, I can go back to the beginning of my career. I worked at a little garden center called the Green Fiddler when I was in college after I changed my major to botany. And I, I walked into this garden center. I said, you have to hire me because I'm a botany major. <laughs> and, they, and, and they said, okay. And I spent four years working there, kind of getting my hands dirty and getting my original, you know, professional experience while I finished my undergrad, and that was awesome. And I just have so many fond memories of that. Garden centers are, you know, in my opinion, one of the best place to get, places to get your fundamental hoard experience. You know, I did an internship with the University of Puerto Rico. I lived in the Elionque National Rainforest in Puerto Rico, doing research on on the uh, rainforest and ferns. Starting the plant trials program at the Dallas Arboretum was something I'm proud of. And yeah, I mean, I have, I've done so many different things. I, I tend to look forward. I'm a very forward looking person. So I don't think a lot about all of the things I've done in the past. But when someone like you makes me think about it, it is fun to go back and think about all the different things I've done.
0: Well, and you know, you mentioned being an idea person and having that range of experience. You know, you might not have to think back; it might just be there when when you're kind of confronted with a, a challenge. And I can imagine working with so many companies in our industry that that might not be idea people or might not think of themselves as that. So when they're looking for. For you to help them kickstart those ideas, I'm sure you know your 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 brain naturally would go into your past and pick out things that you can uh, you can use to sort of kickstart that that inspiration.
1: Sure. Everybody thinks differently, right? You know, some people are linear thinkers and some people are circular thinkers. And I put myself in the circular thinker category. I've kind of got lots of things circulating from beginning to end all at once, you know, sort of seeing that big picture from start to finish. And, you know, when you are running a business, you're a grower, right? I mean, that's that's your lane and you're in it and you're immersed in it all day. And it can just sometimes be challenging to get enough outside perspective or to see outside of that limited, bubble that, you know, it's helpful to sometimes bring somebody else in to help broaden your perspective and just kind of get you out of that day-to-day routine. And so, you know, I'm like a little pollinator. I go around to, you know, I work in all the different segments and work with different businesses. And that is what allows me to have a perspective from a distance, if you will.
0: And, and that's great. I think for commercial horticulture, for growers who tend to be linear thinkers, to have that kind of uh, outside influence is probably really critical. And, but you're also an author, which I think is, is super cool as a writer and as a person who started in the industry writing. I, I always respect authors because of how much time and passion that it takes. And you've got two books under your belt. Which is really cool. So I, and when I looked at the, you know, I've I've got them. And when I look at the topics of, you know, these really cutting edge industry trends that that move toward, the consumer, but start in, you know, sometimes they start in the industry and move toward the consumer. Sometimes the consumers pull these, these trends through our industry, which is good that they do that. I think you're helping that with indoor growing and the caring for house plants, which are really sort of top of mind these days in the grand scheme of horticulture. So um, I think that's really cool. How does it feel to help drive those industry trends?
1: I think drive is the key word, right? So for me, I always work to be a trend driver or to be ahead of any sort of ripple that I see starting to happen, you know, on the consumer end or the industry end, and you have to be aggressive about it. And so, you know, writing these books, like you said, it does take a lot of time and, and a lot of work. Uh, so for me, if I'm going to do that amount of work and, and you know, take all those photographs and spend all that time, there needs to be relevancy and ROI, And that applies to any project I do. So I don't want to write books unless... They're going to be relevant to what is or needs to be going on in the marketplace. So indoor growing and you know DIY propagation and plant keeping to me that's you know that's where there's real opportunity. So you know I'm a hybridizer. I feel like that's my role in the industry to hybridize what's going on in the industry and the science of what we do with consumer interests and needs. Digest it and get it to the consumer so that I can both support the consumer in their interest but also help the industry. That's what I feel like my role is. So I take that approach with my book. So why would I want to write a book on something that, you know, has either already been done to death or, you know, really isn't moving in the direction that that the industry needs to move or the consumers moving. So I really and you have to get ahead of it, you know, a book with Timber Press like this is a two-year process. Mm. So both Gardening Underlights and Plant Parenting, you know, those are books that each took two years to do. So you really have to be ahead and driving trends if you're going to land a book that happens to be relevant when it gets released, right? You have to be thinking ahead always. For sure,
0: for sure. Now, how's the? I'm sure that the response from readers has been awesome because these topics are fun and certainly um, uh, top of mind these days. What's the reaction been from? sort of big horde culture or the folks that are producing plants are you getting questions are you getting kudos how to do- you know what's the response from from growers and greenhouses?
1: Well, not surprisingly and interestingly, you know, I got really poo-pooed by a bunch of people mm-hmm. in the industry when I told them I was I was doing the the grow lighting book, the indoor gardening book. You know, everybody wrinkled their noses, and I said, "Who needs me to write another book on perennials? <laughs> I, I mean, for Pete's sake, you know? I mean, this this is a topic that people want, you know, and and need, and it hasn't been done, and it hasn't been updated. So I got crinkled noses, and then you know, I, 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 if there doesn't seem to be quite as much understanding on the industry side, but that does not surprise me. Okay. So, you know, my goal is that, look, you know, this is where consumers are going and this is what they want. So we need to deliver it. The consumer response has been great. Um, Plant Parenting actually went into reprint. They emailed me the day that it released and said, it's already going into its next reprint. Oh, wow the day that it came out, right? So clearly, (laughs) you know, this is resonating with consumers. And so the industry really, you know, has to pay attention and get on board. So, you know, as is typical, there is a disconnect Mm -hmm. between the industry and the consumer, which is quite frankly, why I have the business I have,
0: (laughs) right? For sure. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. But you're probably going to be, um, I don't know, I, I'm excited that when I talk to university prof- uh, professors and researchers that a lot of the um, the time and money right now is going into indoor uh, production. And yes. usually on a sort of a big scale, but I think that that will quickly trickle down to helping our industry understand the sort of the the hunger out there for that kind of production and for the either home-based production or you know, sort of small scale indoor hydroponics mm-hmm. and things like that. I, I think you're you're going to be vindicated and <laughs> are going to see that that coming to the forefront you hopefully soon. I'm, I'm with you it, on that.
1: It's our, it is starting. It is starting. And so when, when Gardening Under Lights came out, you know, that, that was really just sort of on the cusp. But in, in the last two years, all of a sudden I'm getting more and more emails from, you know, new lighting companies and researchers. It is coming down the pipeline and it is going to hit everyone. So I, I hope to have that vindication. I'm already starting to see that manifest. There is no way around it. There really isn't. So it, this, you know, indoor artificial controlled environments, you know, that, that's just going to become a much bigger factor in the industry, um, no doubt.
0: Absolutely. And uh, yeah, in plant parenting, I think that uh, nobody can, can argue that that is absolutely huge and that is yep. real. And it's something that it doesn't surprise me that it's in reprint. Congratulations thanks, on that. If the industries will take notice. I think, <laughs> and you know, you know what? Just, yeah, go it's, ahead.
1: it's fun. Yeah. So, you know, we can in this industry give ourselves permission to have a little fun. And this is fun. So we, you know, we should just run with this, right? Everybody gets to have a little fun.
0: Yep, yeah, and you and I love uh, independent garden centers and they are really seeing uh, huge increases in sales of houseplants and are exactly. starting to learn how to how to promote that um, to their customers and I right. think your book's gonna help. So cool. Thanks. So let's let's actually All right, man, we could talk about this stuff all day. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get down to business uh, and discuss a topic I really wanted um, to to have you on the podcast to to get into uh, and really discuss thoroughly, and that's women in horticulture. I remember hearing you present this earlier in the year in 2019, and I immediately felt, and I still have the note I took, that that many more people need to hear this message. And now that um, I kind of have this opportunity to share it on the podcast, I'm pretty excited because I do think it's it's something that we don't discuss a lot in our industry. It's something that needs to be discussed. So I guess to start off, why did you choose to address this in your keynote presentation at the Western in 2019? You really could have talked about any topic, I'm sure. But you picked this one, and I'm guessing you picked it for a reason.
1: Well, actually, they picked me. And that was the topic that they asked me to come present. And I've actually given this talk, Women in Horticulture, or, you know, kind of every talk I do is a little bit different. But that topic at Cultivate, uh, I gave it at Cultivate 2018, or last year, maybe, I can't remember. And also at Far West the year before. So I've, I've kind of been one of the people who I guess got anointed to do this. And so when, when I did this at the Western, uh, in 2019, they, they actually asked me to come specifically to do the women in horticulture and talk, which I thought was awesome. So, so they, they tapped me on the shoulder and, you know, the reason that I decided I had a responsibility to do it, um, Obviously, I'm a woman in horticulture, so I intimately deal with all of the challenges that we that we face day to day in any career, really as a woman. But I have a unique um, luxury and responsibility for the last seven years, being my own business owner, I I have the freedom to say whatever I want, right? A lot of women don't have that freedom to say, which is why it doesn't get talked about, but I can say whatever I want. I can speak on behalf of all the women who are afraid to potentially speak up for fear of being punished or losing their job, right? So, you know, my job is, and and my approach is to be really direct and really truthful and to be able to come out and say some of the things that everybody's thinking, but everybody's afraid to say. And that's what I did at the Western. That's what I did at Cultivate. That's what I did at Far West. And it was really interesting. The responses that I get after those talks are are really, really interesting. So, so really, I have to say at each of those events, they, they asked me to come do the topic actually.
0: Excellent. And you talk about it's something that we don't often talk about or that folks are sometimes afraid to approach. And I think that I saw that in the eyes mm-hmm. and the reactions in the, in the audience. You see a lot of, well, first you don't see much movement. It's sort of an uncomfortable silence. And then you start to see nods and, yes. and the nods are, you know, that's men, women, that's everyone sitting there because I, I think that the way that you present it gives it, I don't want to say credibility, but it it, it gives it some teeth because people, I think that they don't think about it on a day-to-day basis. But when you really sit back and hear some of what you're you're and what you're going to share, it really drives the point home. And I I just remember looking across at the faces of all ages and genders and sort of a cross-section of the industry and thinking, wow. This is really resonating. I mean, I'm sure that you you you've heard that and seen heard had response from all sorts of different folks.
1: Well, you know, it, when when people ask me to do this talk, I say to them, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be really blunt about it. And there's topics that I talk about that are that are relevant to all women across industries, and that also are also relevant specifically to the green industry. You know, that are really basic, fundamental things, but. You know, people don't talk about them. And again, women don't complain. They don't talk about it. You know, it's not a broad, um, discussion again, because women get punished. Women get punished for speaking up. So, and, and women are afraid to lose their jobs and women have, you know, children to take care of and are, are, are more often today the primary breadwinner for their home. And so it's really risky. To talk about some of these things. I am happy to take that risk. I will say whatever needs to be said. And you're right. Oftentimes that initial reaction is like everybody's frozen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's a reality that we all deal with every day. So getting real about it and, and talking about some of the real day-to-day issues that we have in, in the workplace as women, I think is really important.
0: Well, that's a good segue. So let's start big picture and not necessarily horticulture industry mm-hmm. specific. So can you talk a little bit about the current structure of the work world and how this is challenging for many women? And I know this is something that can be hard for some, probably for some of the listeners to understand, but I think it's going to become pretty, pretty clear pretty quickly when Leslie explains it.
1: it, it there's a really easy answer to that question. And and that is that the work world is built by men for men, period. <laughs> You know, women, you know, 50% of the population is trying to operate in a work structure that was not created with with them or their needs at all in mind, right? Women, um, you know, bear much different responsibilities still in today's society, mostly for the child rearing, you know, mostly for taking care of things in the home. You know, you can look at any research study out there that will give you the data on how much more, you know, child care and, and house care and et cetera that women bear on top of working full time. You know, the expectations are that women are just supposed to handle everything else and also still work on, you know, full time and not take any sick time to take care of their kids, even though the women are the ones that are going to have to go home and stay home when the kids are sick, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So the structure, you know, childcare at work, you know, that's like if if a business has childcare at work, it's seen as this, you know, major revolution. And it's like, well, but these are all the same kids that the men have. The men have the same kids as the women have, right, where they share the same children, you know, but we're just not structured. So women are trying desperately to keep up and work in a structure that simply wasn't created for them. And, and you know, I think we're doing our best, but the reality is that that is not going to change until more women are, you know, on on boards, our CEOs own their own companies, and start structuring, you know, the workday and the logistics of a business for everybody, not just men who have somebody at home taking care of the family.
0: Okay, that's a really good, I think that's a great sort of baseline to start at. So, and here's another topic I'll throw at you that can be a little bit challenging to address, but as a reality, it's stereotyping. And I, I know that you talked about it in your presentations, and it's kind of a, a baggy or loose term, but we can take it in all sorts of different directions. But I think for this episode, why don't why don't you talk about how big of an issue it is? Is it improving? And maybe you can make this sort of specific to horticulture.
1: Sure. Stereotyping is a really big problem and I like to characterize that as the stories that other people tell about you, which are really dangerous if you believe them, right? So, so, you know, assuming that a woman can't do something because she's a woman, assuming she can't use a tool or run the backhoe or, you know, any of those things, assuming they're not capable of doing that, assuming that, um, you know, they're just not smart enough to do a certain job. You know, I, I was told that as a young girl, I didn't need to be helped with my math because I was a girl and it didn't matter. I was told in high school that I was not college material. So there was no sense in letting me into the Algebra two class. I needed to get to get into college because I was not college material. Um, you know, I, I've been told many stories about myself because I was a woman and luckily was born with such a you know, raging sense of independence that anytime somebody tells me I can't do something, my answer is, oh, really? I'm going to show you. But that is not everyone's innate personality. So stereotyping is really dangerous gender roles that are assigned to you as a woman or a man. And this and this goes for men as well. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, detrimental stereotyping for men as well. You know, thinking you're weak because you want to take care of your children. Mm-hmm. That is a bad stereotype and it is incorrect. So, we have to be really careful about the stories that we assign to people and to ourselves and what we believe. So, I think especially in the horticulture industry, right? An agricultural industry, it's definitely a male dominated field. And the perception is, is that it's male dominated work, but look around you, there's a whole heck of a lot of women working in this industry. And, you know, I've slept just as many bags of mulch as any guy and probably more and dug as many holes and, you know, sweat as much as any other guy out there. And, you know, we really have to be careful when we make assumptions and assign a stereotype to somebody that they can't do the work because of their sex. It's wrong. It's dangerous. And it really hurts the entire industry.
0: I think that's a, that's a great lesson that I hope everybody is listening to right now, because like you said, I think that it crosses genders. I mean, and and you even read that like in parenting literature, you know, don't ever, you know, uh, uh, put this on a kid, you know, you're the cute one. You're the funny one. You're Mm -hmm. the, you know, because there, that gets into a person's head and becomes you know, it's sort of self-fulfilling, and um, I like what you said about it's really the stories other people tell about you, and that's really something that we all need to uh, we all need to pay attention to and remember that those stories are absolutely not true. But I like how you made it specific to horticulture, and I've seen a lot of that in action. I'm sure that nobody can uh, can say that they haven't. So I appreciate you getting into the stereotyping because I think it is something that that is very much ongoing. I don't necessarily see it improving all that much at the current state but it's something we all really need to work on.
1: Yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say that it's improving but I do think that if we can empower more women to, you know, start speaking up and set boundaries and and again, you know, every little girl out there doesn't need to be told that they're pretty. Mm. They need to be told they're smart just like every young man out there needs to be told he's smart, right? So there there are there are labels that you assign to people that can can really be detrimental and limit people's own perception of what they're capable of doing and that's really tragic.
0: Yes, I agree. We could probably do an entire episode on this because yes. I think it is that important for everyone to hear. But um we will move on and before we kind of go too far down a path that could be a little bit negative, let's flip let's flip it to strengths and benefits because Okay. I mean, I was thinking back over my career, um, and, and my experience with female managers is, is awesome. And I've had, I mean, from my days in the magazine to marketing and everything, I've had some really excellent mentors, um, that are, that are, female managers. So I know there's really a lot of strengths that women could bring to the management and leadership table, But and I know that you also would agree with that. So can you talk about some of these um, strengths and abilities and skill sets and what you've seen work well across organizations? And I think that's really the critical piece to this because a lot of folks who listen to this podcast are business owners, managers. Talk a little bit about how organizations can benefit from these strengths and skill sets that, that female leaders bring to the table.
1: Well, first off, I I just want to thank you for saying that out loud that you've had Uh great experiences because I think that's step number one men acknowledging positives of working with women. You don't hear that very often. So, just the simple fact that you're saying that is is positive. So, thank you. Number two, women really, again, have to get outside of those stereotypes. Stop listening to the stories people tell them and self-evaluate. Women have to decide for themselves what their strengths are and what they're good at. Right, and that takes some courage, and that takes some strength. But as women, you know, we innately um, have to balance. Right, we're good balancers and we're good collaborators. Women have to collaborate. You know, that's how we're that's how we're wired, and that's how society has 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 structured things. That that we our success is often tied to the success of others. So if you think Mm -hmm. of child rearing, I don't have children, so I don't relate this to myself. But many women do have children, and obviously, you know, that family unit, all the success is tied together. So, women will often see, uh, will want to help somebody else because they tie that person's success to their own. Does that make sense? Yeah, Whereas absolutely. I, I don't think that's an innate. Male trait, not to say that men are not helpers, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're talking in broad generalities here, but um, you know, women also have a really intimate understanding of of a big bulk of our consumers in the green industry, right? A lot of our consumers are women, and women have an innate understanding of what matters to those consumers. That's something that we can leverage, right? Mm -hmm. Women are good listeners, and you know, I think that 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 we are very used to. Um, multitasking and and managing a lot of other people's lives, <laughs> you know, on a day to day basis, right? We're jugglers. So, you know, there are so many things that women do well that that they need to be confident. And I, and I would assume you've experienced some of that. If you've had great managers that were women, that you have have probably felt like they felt your success was imp- important to their success, right?
0: Yes, I mean, really, the the one thing that jumps out at me, and I'm thinking of three uh, managers that I've worked for, is the team building, and it's yeah. it's really um, making sure not only that everybody feels a part of the team, but that the team is working as a unit much more so than than an, an you know an, an individual approach.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know that um, it's really important to understand that. Yeah, collaboration is key, right? And that, you know, I, I enjoy helping other people succeed. You know, I think the root of that is that women, we are not imbued with a, with a sense of entitlement. We have to scrap for everything we get in our careers. We have to work really hard. We have no sense of entitlement, right? So that, that's actually a real strategic advantage. We don't feel entitled to anything so we're gonna we're gonna work hard for every little piece that we get and every little piece of success that we get. So that lack of of sense of entitlement and sort of being forced to have to put our egos aside on a daily basis just to get by in our in in a work world is actually a real strategic advantage if you about if you really think about it
0: and I think that the way that you characterize that and balancing that um you know, the, the lack of a sense of entitlement and the sort of scrappiness and fighting hard to, to get things, balancing that with team building. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't think of better management, um, I guess, skills than that.
1: Right. So, you know, we kind of need to look around and make sure that as business owners and managers, we're leveraging that with the women that we have working with us and that we're thinking about that when we're hiring.
0: For sure, and you mentioned that um, that you know some some of the strengths that that we're talking about can seem like stereotypes and that women really need to take a look at themselves and the skill yes. sets that they're bringing to the table. So I guess how about a little bit of advice for the listeners how How do you feel people, men or women, can identify some of their best skill sets for leadership? Um, you know, have you seen any uh, any of these tactics in action that really work? you know what 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 do you think?
1: Well, I can only speak for myself. I never claim to be an expert on everybody else and what's going to work for everybody else. But a key thing that I try to do that I feel has helped me be successful is to really authentically, honestly, self-evaluate continuously and be honest with myself about what I think I'm good at and what I'm not. And if, if there's something I don't think I'm great at or I'm competent at, but it does not make me happy, then I either one need to self-select myself out of that or choose a job or a project that, 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 you know, makes it so I don't have to do that thing, or I have to commit myself to learning how to do it well. And I think that that's where a lot of, of managers, men and women, you know, we, we fall down is that we aren't, we don't self-reflect enough. So, I'll just use myself as an example. The reason I run my own company is because I self-selected myself out of working for other people because when you're competent, what happens to you? You end up managing a lot of people. Uh It's an inevitability, right? Even as a botanist or a horticulture, if you're competent, right, you're (laughs) going to move up the ladder and moving up the ladder means managing lots of people. Well, Managing lots of people was making my hair fall out. And so, you know, the perception was that I was moving up the ladder and and succeeding because I managed all these people. But, you know, I'm an idea person. I'm a creative person. I want to make things happen. And I was spending all of my time managing people. So I had to make the decision that, you know what, that is not my strength. I have to make a change and be honest with myself. So. Again, that kind of goes back to stereotypes. I'm also, you know, I'm a, I am a generous, caring, you know, person who loves to laugh when it comes to business. I am a hard driver (laughs) and I am not sweet and soft and flowery. And it's not my job to be nice. It's my job to be effective. And, you know, that is also hard as a woman, right? People have a hard time that because as a woman, they want me to be nice first. They want me to nurture first and I'm not going to do that. So I had to create a situation for myself where I got to work the way I want to work to be most effective. Right. And, 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 and not everybody can do that, but you can authentically self-evaluate. And and be honest with yourself about where you thrive and where you don't so that you can make assertive decisions about your career that will take you down the right path. And that's good for everybody else around you, too.
0: (laughs) For sure. And I think that as a consultant and as a coach, people are not going to hire you to tell them what they're doing oh so well and be nice and kind and flowery. right? Not my job. (laughs) <laughs> right. So I think that, you know, that self-evaluation, that self-selection is, and you're in your, I think the way that you related it to what you do is very understandable. And I like that you said your options are really to pull yourself out of that role or to build those skills. Um, and I, you know, for listeners, if you want to Google self-evaluation, you'll find 10,000 different approaches mm-hmm. to how to do that. And then you can find the one that works best for you, whether it's writing it down or making, you know, matrices or whatever, however your brain works. Um, self-evaluation is critical, really, in, in all skills. And I can see how that would be a, a good way um, for folks to identify their best skill sets and see if what, what they're doing is really what, what they're meant to be doing.
1: Yeah. And, and it's really no one else's responsibility to do that for you. You know, if you're not happy in a job or you don't feel fulfilled, you know, the other thing I would say is, is, is stop waiting for somebody to give you an opportunity and stop asking for it, do it, take it take a risk, jump out there. I'm a, you know, I don't even really ask for forgiveness. You know, (laughs) you know, I'm one of those, you know, you know, ask for forgiveness later, not permission. I kind of don't do either. You know, I'm just going to go do what needs to be done. And, and, you know, I think that that's really important is that you are responsible for yourself. It's not anybody's job to babysit your ego or to manage your personal insecurities. You are in charge of yourself, period.
0: I love how you say that because you're, you're actually giving folks permission to, you know, go out and kind of be, be hardline in that, which is, which well, is to
1: great. be them, to be themselves, mm-hmm. to be authentically you
0: for sure. So That's let's, I feel like I've just asked you that like, question after question after question. So let's just make sure we haven't missed anything. Are there, if you think, think back about what, what's building up to, to, to this, um, in our discussion are there any other things that we need to talk about on the positive side before we jump into a challenging troublesome topic
1: sure well i think that we are starting to see some positive things i love that we've got more women running for office that's going to be key we have to get more women into office so i think we're seeing some progress there and that makes me really happy and um you know i think that that is sort of giving women permission also to be more openly supportive of one another in the industry and it, we're starting to see a little bit more of that so uh, But yeah, I think I think we're seeing small positive movements on sort of the openness. And I would just encourage everybody to be to be more open and to really authentically support other women. You know, you're not in competition with other women. You're not in competition with anybody else you work with. You're Mm -hmm. only in competition with yourself. Period. And I think that as permission, right, is sort of like is given more and more women are stepping up to support one another. And I think that that's really positive. So we can definitely find a lot of positives going on in the industry right now. So we should latch on to those and, and help them along with some momentum.
0: Cool. And I like how you sort of broaden it out to sort of big picture society. And I have two daughters and I have no lack of female role models for them to look at, no lack of books on the Barnes & Noble bookshelf about, you know, smart is the new pretty, tough is the new pretty. I mean, it's really kind of cool as a dad of young ladies that there are so many role models and so many positive stories. And it's not just the the four or five that you heard about when we were kids. It's or or (laughs) any. I had nothing, right? You know, know, so
1: right. We had to find our own way. But I'm really happy that there's there's so many great role models that are now out in the public.
0: For sure. So let's kind of look at an ugly side of this topic that we all know exists and it's harassment. And I know that you brought it up and when you when you gave these keynote presentations and again you know, when you start to talk about harassment and put that word up on a slide that, again, you probably get that frozen audience like, okay. oh, where's she going with this? But I think that we just need to tackle this head on. And if you want to start with kind of the harsh reality of of what's going on out there and what we need to know about it, and maybe can you define harassment as it relates to the workplace? Because I think that is probably part of the challenge is. Uh-huh. What is harassment?
1: Yeah, well, look, this is something that every woman has to deal with in her life, period, not just at her job, but just in every day to day life. And, you know, I think I characterize it in my talk as often, you know, women so often just feel like prey. We feel like prey. We feel like we are in a continuous defensive mode of life having to fend off, (laughs) you know, whatever it is that's coming, you know, with us. And to have to do it at your job is just adding insult to injury, seriously. You know, I I, I have had to deal with harassment of all sorts on the job. I've had men put their hands on me. I've had men restrain me. I, I mean, and seriously, with the back rubs. I'm just going to mm-hmm. give everybody a really big, I'm going to tell every man out there, there is no woman in any office that appreciates you coming up behind her and giving her a back rub. You know why she smiles and laughs? Because that's fight or flight. Women are conditioned to laugh and smile off rude comments, comments about their bodies, you know, whatever it, advance it is, because what could happen to us if we threw up a boundary? you know, violence against women is a real life thing that happens all day, every day. So women have learned tactics with which to get out of those situations without feeling like they are going to be physically harmed. So we smile at you and we laugh at you and we shrug it off and then we get out of there because that's how we are. That's how we survive. To have to do that in an office where you're trying to work, you are there to work, you're there to feed your family, you're there to take care of yourself, and this is what you have to put up with. It's really, it, it's it's beyond frustrating. Um, and, you know, harassment runs a very broad spectrum. And so I think you are right in defining what that means is really important. Um, harassment is not just putting your hands on someone. It's not just grabbing someone. It's not, you know something that's really obvious it is can be as subtle as a comment it can be looks it can be a comment about your outfit it can be a com. i mean it can be a comment about your voice the sound of your voice it can be getting interrupted continuously every time you're trying to make a point in a meeting i mean harassment runs the gamut and i think if if you're a man uh you have to ask yourself why are you behaving the way you are to this woman? What's your goal? And if that goal isn't positive and authentic, then you might be falling into a harassment category. Mm-hmm. And so it's very nuanced, but you know, it's exhausting. As I'm just going to say this, this, it is exhausting as a woman to be at your job trying to do all of the things that you're responsible for doing and also having to deal with people coming at you with things like this that are completely not related to work that are about your looks or about your parents or they, you know, whatever it is that they want from you that's not related to your job. So it's a really, I mean, you know, I could talk about this for hours Mm -hmm. um, and I could get really graphic, you know, um, but you know, I can't tell you the number of women that come up to me after I give these talks, there's a line of them and half of them are in tears Mm -hmm. and they all have stories about, um, things that have happened to them, things that men have done to them on the job or on business trips or you name it. And and I said, why didn't you raise your hand and say something about it? Like, because I'm terrified to talk about this. I'm scared. I'm embarrassed. Wow. So, well, yeah, it, it runs the gamut.
0: And I think that like you said, you have a line of people after your talks, and I can guarantee everybody who's listening to this is thinking of an an experience, whether it's something that's happened to them, something that they've seen happen in an office setting, something they've done in an office setting. And I think that when you said to ask yourself, why are you behaving this way to the guys out there, that is fundamental. And it's a very tough question to ask. and Mm -hmm. But it's one that that, and it really comes down to respect. And there is absolutely, like you said, no reason that a person who's going to work to put food on their table should have to deal with this kind of stuff in an office setting. shouldn't have to deal with it at all, but an office right. setting should be a place where you can be extremely professional and Correct. The, the women feel like prey, that's really yes. troubling t- for me to hear. And I had a I was listening to a podcast last week about running and I heard a, mm-hmm. a, the, the woman who was, you know, the podcast host mm-hmm. was talking about being nervous about going out and running in the woods. And I was just thinking I run in the woods all the time and I've never felt nervous. And I think it's just what you said. It's that feeling like prey and always on the defense that it is really, Always. I don't know. My eyes were opened when I heard that my <laughs> eyes were open again, when I just heard you talking about it again, maybe I'm thinking as a father of young ladies, but it's, it's an interesting um, reality.
1: It is, a, it, it is simply a reality. And I've tried to explain this to men before, and it just, it's very hard to, hmm. for, for you to relate, is, you know, that, I mean, you know, when I am, you know, getting my keys out to go into my house, I have to look behind me hmm. when I get in my car, I have to look behind me and close the door. I have to pay attention to my surroundings as a woman. You're you're taught to have to do this. You know, when you go running, you have to think about what time am I going, right? Is it safe for me to go or do I need somebody to go with me? There's just so many little things that as a man, you generally, not that bad things don't happen to men. Bad things happen to men. Okay, no, but, but I certainly
0: ta- don't think that way.
1: Well, you You do not think nope. that way. And so having to translate that mentality when you're at the office is exhausting.
0: I believe it. So what... So here, let's, let's go to what advice do you have for women sure. when and if they have to deal with this? Are there, are there best? I mean, there've got to be best practices. I mean, you said that so many women are afraid to put their hands up because of you know, the fear of losing their job, a fear of not being listened to. I mean, the, 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 the reasons are probably endless, but what are, what are the best practices or what, what should be done?
1: Well I would say there aren't a lot of best practices because most companies have no formal process or way with which to deal with this so the first thing I'm going to say before I put the responsibility on the woman which is what always happens mm. I'm going to put the responsibility back on every single company in the green industry to sit down and do an audit of how do you handle these situations in your workplace do you have a formal path of reporting for women in your company or anybody or a man that's being heard, anybody who is feels that they are you know the subject of unprofessional, you know, behavior, what's your process? And when you hire people and is it in your handbook to people know that they have a safe way to report things to you and someone to go to, because let me tell you, I've reported things in the past and been told the same old nonsense that women get told, Oh, you just misinterpreted you, you know, so, you know, clearly I haven't gotten very far with a lot of that, but so number one, as a company, you need to have a formal process in place that makes people feel safe to come to somebody and report something. As a woman, I would say, I am going to encourage you, document and report. So documentation is something a lot of women don't think of. There may be a lot of interactions you have that you might not feel ready to formally report, but you need to document them. And how sad is that to have to say, you need to journal your harassment interactions. But if you don't have documentation, people don't believe you and they're going to say you can't prove a pattern of behavior. Document it write it down.
0: Meaning, okay, so write it down, date, time, person. Yes. Date, time,
1: person, what happened? Write it down and document it. And then when you get to a point where you feel like, okay, a new situation happens and you can report it, you have this documentation. Mm. Speak up. Another tool that I would like to give women that I feel is very helpful is you know how when these things happen and in the moment you freeze and you don't know what to say. And then after the fact, you go, why didn't I say A, B, or C? right? Because you weren't prepared and you're so shocked in that moment, write some dialogue for yourself and practice it in the mirror a few times of what you want to say somebody when they're making an advance at you or they're saying something inappropriate so that you can feel practiced and responding in a way that creates a boundary right then and there in that moment and teaches that person that that behavior is totally unacceptable. That is scary to do, but if you have no response in your repertoire that you kind of have practiced, you can kind of just go blank. So, practicing some responses in advance so you can set your boundaries right then and there is really helpful.
0: Well, and the action's kind of the action from the person making the advance is pretty cowardly. So, if that response, if that reaction and very planned, you know, sharp, strong reaction comes back to them, they, I've got to believe more than often, they will stop that behavior.
1: Hopefully. I mean, that's my experience is that most of the time that stops that behavior right then and there. And you don't have to deal with it again. (laughs) Not to say that that works with everybody, but it certainly will set a precedent for your boundaries for yourself. But it can be hard to do if you're not. If, if you haven't said those words out loud before, does that make
0: sense? Absolutely. like anything yeah. practice makes exactly. it much more of a yeah. natural response and something right. you feel more confident saying. I think right. that that's fantastic. Document report, prepare with the dialogue. And then, I mean, it really comes down to which, which how you started the, the response is that these, you know, companies in, in our industry need to have a process and, yes. you know, and it's not just a, oh yeah, I'll go talk to that person. No, that's not, A process. Who
1: do you go who do you go talk to? Does it does an employee even know who is is appropriate or safe for them to go talk to? It's true. Quite frankly. And what if that person who's harassing you is your boss?
0: What are you supposed to do? And a family happens owned company and it's the the family time.
1: member. All the time. All the Family. That's a big problem in the horticulture industry. There are sure. so many family owned businesses. So, what do you do? You go tell dad that his son mm-hmm. is harassing you? It's a really terrible situation to be in. So, there has to be a formal process. I think that's really, really important. And women have to, to start stepping forward and reporting for sure. I know that's hard, but we've got to.
0: Yep, absolutely. So, let's go back to what I think it would be a positive. So because yes. there's, I mean, with with social media, with groups, with, you know, events and meetups, the communication opportunities are probably at an all-time high right now, and you can network 24-7 across the world. So how are women in horticulture working together to make improvements, or, or how should they be sharing information, ideas, and tips and tricks, in your opinion? Are there groups out there? Are there resources? Is there is there a, a place that, that, that folks can start if they want to uh, kind of get together with a like-minded group?
1: Well, I'll say that it's kind of been a very slow, tentative kind of creeping thing that's that still hasn't really grown into itself yet. The the you know, you know, the the cultivate and, and a lot of the state nursery landscape associations, you know, within the last few years have started to try to have these women networking events. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found them to be mostly ineffectual, was which is actually one of the reasons that I wanted to step in and do kind of the talks that I did. And then when I do these networking sessions, I say, okay, we're gonna have have constructive communication during the network and we're going to make this have some good ROI to it. There are lots of Facebook groups out there that are kind of behind the scenes and private um, where there's a little bit of activity. There are some areas around the country that have some women in horticulture groups that do meetups, but I do get sort of the overall vibe that it is still a little tentative, right? Mm. It's still a little tentative and it's still a little bit slow. So I, I would encourage you, if you have a women and horticulture group in your area, definitely get involved. Um, but I also would encourage you to look outside of the industry to some larger um, organizations that support women in business that you can also support, which can help you bring ideas to the green industry. The Texas Women's Foundation, for example, is a statewide organization that I joined in the last year here in Texas that has really key goals of focusing on women in the workplace, um, you know, uh, getting more women into you know top positions within business, et cetera, women's education. And I feel like that's helping me figure out how to do more things for women in horticulture within the industry. So I would say one of our problems in the green industry is that we just tend to be insular, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to be inner focused. And so I would suggest maybe step outside of that comfort zone a little bit and look around you at some additional bigger statewide or national women's business groups that you can get involved with because there's a lot of things you can learn and a lot of things you can bring to the table. So there are a lot of opportunities. I I don't think we have really... Um, We haven't gotten cohesive about it yet in the green industry, So, but there's a lot of opportunity, but I I think we still have to work on sort of formalizing how we communicate about women in horticulture. And instead of it just saying, hey, we're in this together, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what it feels like, Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to change that into how are we going to make effective change? How are we lobbying for women in horticulture? You know, how are we making structural, infrastructural changes? So I think we need to get a little bit more formal in our communication, but we're slowly, slowly seeing more groups come about that I think you can participate in.
0: That's great. And I think that that's actually a a good sort of challenge to wrap up our discussion today with, which is. You know, maybe it's time, you know, may, maybe you out there have an opportunity to, to form a group. Maybe you can do a little bit of digging and ask around your, your, you know, state or local association about, you know, any opportunities. Certainly in, in most major cities, I would imagine there is a, a women in business mm-hmm. group. Um, and I, and I love what you said, Leslie, about go meet, meet up with that group and bring some of those ideas back to, um, you know, you can tweak them to be more industry specific. And, and I do think that the time is right now with the ability to communicate and the ability, you know, how, you know, how small the world is these days to put together these kind of groups. There are, you know, large events that our industry has where it is an opportunity to do meetups and things like that. And I just think that it it would make sense to me to sh- to get together, share topics, strategies, challenges, successes, and, you know, kind of what we've been talking about this episode. I, I can't imagine that there would be any lack of discussion at such a meeting. So.
1: No, not, not lack of discussion, but I think there needs to be more focus on tangible action. So I, that's the challenge I would put out to everybody is, sure, join one of those Facebook groups, go to one of the networking events, but have an, have an, in, an intent, right? What's your goal for going and what action are you going to take after participating?
0: That's awesome. So Leslie, thank you so much. I know that you are crazy busy with all of your networks, your books, speaking engagements, and then of course, helping your clients create all these awesome messages. So can you let the listeners know how they can get more Halleck in their day through social media, (laughs) maybe where they can find your articles and all the information that you create?
1: Sure. So you can find me at lesliehalleck.com and I'll, I'll let you link to that so you can mm-hmm. spell it out. And, uh, that's my main website. So you can see what kind of work that I do and blogs and find out about books and where all my articles are. You can find me on social media at Leslie Halleck, both on Twitter and Instagram. My Facebook page is Halleck Horticultural So you can find me there. And then I write for industry magazines, um, GIE uh, publications. So you can find me across those publications and speaking and and you name it. So I, I try to reach out on as many platforms as I can. Uh, with the time that I have,
0: <laughs> sorry. Awesome, and if, if folks look around, they're going to find you. They're going to see you on on the speaking uh, uh, opportunities at shows. And I would encourage anyone listening to go to one of Leslie's talks because. I think as we started this podcast with, your your background is so extensive that whether you're talking, you know, about, you know, production or you're talking about retail or you're talking about research, if you're talking about botanic gardens, talking about new consumer trends, you really have such a wealth of information and the background to, uh, you know, your, your tried and true, so...
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> so I do. Th- I, I hope that we've grown some awareness in the last you know, 40 minutes and brought some of these topics to the forefront. I think my goal for this episode was a little bit of education. And I think with education comes an opportunity for change. And that really is where what the next step is. So, Leslie, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on STEM. I hope we can do it again in the near future and cover some other topics.
1: I I can't tell you how much I appreciate your willingness to to cover this topic, so I am greatly appreciative that you had me on to give me the opportunity, and I would happily come on to talk about any other industry topic you'd like me to in the future. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks so much for listening to STEM. Insider tips for greenhouse pros, and special thanks for helping us reach almost 12,000 downloads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and give it a good rating on your podcast player. Or better yet, write a quick review or share with your coworkers and peers. This will help expose more potential listeners to STEM. We really appreciate the support. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins@ballhort.com. bcalkins at ballhort.com. That's B C A L K I N S at B A L L H O R T.com. Be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And now you can follow STEM Greenhouse Podcast on Instagram for behind-the-scenes looks, sneak peeks, and all sorts of good stuff. Let's end this episode with a quote about respect from talk show host Dennis Prager. Goodness is about character, integrity, honesty, kindness, generosity, moral courage and the like but more than anything else it's about how we treat other people